Hey friends, it's Chris Chavez here. We'll be back to your regularly scheduled City Smack podcast interviews this week. Our next guest is Ali Kiefer, so uh, look for that interview possibly on Thursday or Friday. Apologies to Aaron Finn, the runner from Michigan, who tweeted at me and called me out for not keeping up with promises. Uh, I'm sorry. I've been a little busy with some stories that I've been writing and also getting this new show off the ground. So I just wanted to take a moment to give you all a preview of the newest show on the Sidious Mag Podcast Network. This is a project that I am very particularly proud of. I've got high hopes for this new show. It's a show that I co-host with Jean Mack. She interviewed me on the Sidious Mag Podcast a few weeks ago. She was on this show last year. You guys know her as the newest Olympic Marathon Trials qualifier. She crushed it out in Chicago. Anyways, we announced that this was going to happen. Now it's here. Introducing Runners of NYC. This is the first episode. The reception that we've received thus far has been pretty tremendous. You might not be from New York City, but this show will give you some good insight into the many people who make up such a great city. And I say that, and I'm a little biased because I'm from here, but it's true. It's everyday runners in an everyday setting, but not your common backgrounds. In a city of 8 million people, Gene and I have a lot of stories to tell, and we're excited to share those with you. So without further ado, here is episode one of Runners of NYC. The podcast is now available on iTunes and SoundCloud. We'll work on getting it on other platforms. So if you really enjoy this show, just search Runners of NYC and subscribe. A lot of people did so last week. We made it all the way up to number 52-ish, I think, on the iTunes charts for sports and recreation. So we're really excited, and I hope you enjoy this show. Hello and welcome to the very first episode of Runners of NYC. It's the newest podcast on the CSMAC Podcast Network. I'm your host, Chris Chavez. And before we get the show going with our very first interview, I'm going to turn it over to my co-host, Gene Mack, who is going to explain to you guys real briefly what this show is all about. So the point of this new podcast is to bring you guys the untold stories behind the luminaries and legends of New York City's running culture. Um, and it's a new show from the Sidious Mag podcast. We'll be interviewing just local legends around New York City to try to figure out why they run and how they continue running in New York City, which is not always the easiest place to make running uh, a habit. We're hoping to do it bi-weekly too, so keep subscribing on iTunes, it's on SoundCloud, and we're gonna work to get it on multiple other platforms. And we're recording this live from Orchard Street, and you guys will learn very soon why that's the case but before we do that we're not the type of people who really like to talk about ourselves so we're gonna turn it over to each other to introduce each other so gene how would you describe me chris chavez was once called a pillar of the running community in new york city that was in an email <laughs> it's true <laughs> um he was born and raised in queens and Chris has been running since high school, but focusing especially on competitive distance running since he first began covering the sport as a journalist. Uh, he reported on track and field for Sports Illustrated at the Olympics in 2016, and he's been chasing down his own PRs in the mile, half marathon, and marathon since well before 2016. Yeah, it's not easy, but I'm trying to, my motto is to try to get less slow <laughs> every year. Um, 
And I guess, how would I characterize you? Well, Jean, you are one of my close friends here in New York City. Aww. You're originally from Bristol, Rhode Island. It's true. Which I learned not too long ago. Uh, and as of a few minutes ago, when I updated the Wikipedia page, <laughs> you are listed as one of the notable people oh, wow. on the Bristol, Rhode Island My parents are going to be so page. proud. <laughs> You're also on there with like one of the Barrymores from the Barrymore like Hollywood family that dates back to the 19th century. So you're in good company there. Oh, cool. But you ran at Harvard and then spent some time in Flagstaff, Arizona, just crushing miles and crushing books while getting your MFA mm -hmm. at NAU. Yep. And now you're back in New York City for your second stint yeah. here <laughs> yep. in the city. And just recently, congratulations on hitting the Olympic Marathon Trials Qualifier. Thank you. And pretty much securing your spot on the starting line in Atlanta in 2020. Yeah, thanks. I'm excited. So that's a little bit about ourselves. We'll keep that pretty brief. And our first guest for this podcast is someone we were really excited to land an interview with because he doesn't really do too many interviews. And as you'll hear very early on, this is going to be this is his first podcast. Um, so without further ado, Gene, who is our first guest? Our first ever guest on the Runners of NYC podcast is Joe Donato. And Joe is a runner whose ties to New York City go back multiple generations and who has had a huge and lasting influence on the sport and the culture of running here in the city. He's the founder of the Orchard Street Runners, a co-ed running group that meets on Tuesday nights in the Lower East Side of Manhattan. And then through Orchard Street Runners, Joe started organizing and holding these unsanctioned races for men and women through the streets of New York City. And those races have just continued to grow in scope and competition through the years. So yeah, in this podcast, we just dive right into Joe's process of bringing those races to fruition, along with how he personally became a runner and what keeps him running. Excellent. Couldn't have said it better myself. So without further ado, we're going to roll right in to the first interview on the Runners of NYC podcast. Here's Joe Donato. So yeah, this is our inaugural podcast. <laughs> yeah, very first episode of Runners of NYC, and we're going to kick things off with probably the most New York, I think, person we yeah. could get on the show to kick it, kick it off. It's uh, Joe Donato of Orchard Street Runners. Joe, how's it going? Very well. Pleasure to be here. Yeah. Um, we were really excited that you agreed to do this. We feel like you don't... We haven't heard too many podcasts with you. You were saying this is your very first podcast, so yeah, my we're first honored. Time. No, I'm honored. It's oh. a pleasure to be the inaugural guest. So what we want to do with this podcast is kind of take a real deep dive into the running scene in New York City. And so we understand that most people don't start off living in New York. But for you, your roots and the Denoto roots run deep in New York. Could you take us, I guess, as far back as, as you know? Uh, yeah. So at some point, if you want to go way back, uh, <laughs> as my grandfather puts it, the ancestors came from a town called Noto in Sicily. Wow. Uh, his re his uh, recollection goes back to Palermo, though. So from Palermo, uh, I believe it was my great-grandfather, 
there, there's there's a story about my great great grandfather coming over and then going back and then his sons coming back but the sons were born here okay so when he initially came here the sons were born they went back to Italy and then when the sons were of age they came to New York and I think that was 1914 if I'm wow, not mistaken that's awesome um, yeah pr- pretty crazy and they had a, a supermarket or a grocery store up in in the Bronx and uh, jump ahead to what I know from what my grandfather told me. Um, this bakery situation um, in the bottom of the supermarket mm-hmm. was where that started. Um, the bit, anyway, the bakery started in the bottom of the, the grocery store in the, in the cellar. The water would flood up to his knees and the smoke from the ovens would be <laughs> below his, oh uh, he got God. the duck down and, and kind of like had this little workspace <laughs> and that's where he would bake the bread. And then, you know, they, they would, uh, they would deliver it to apartments. They would go up the stairwell across the roof and then down the next building stairwell, cool. dropping off bread. So just walking, just yeah. hand delivery. Yeah. Cool. Um, and then, you know, they, the business picked up and they got more into a production scale. And it was about the size of a half a city block by the, the time I was born. Mm. And I have memories of me and my brother climbing on 10-foot tall stacks of cornstarch and flour and <laughs> stuff like that, and just running around this huge building. And everybody being super nice to us because I guess we were the boss's grandkids. You know? <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. It was a good childhood. And, and you know, we, we grew up in Queens. Um, but, yeah, so we've always been in and out businesses and living in, you know, Bronx, New York, Manhattan, so on. Uh, when I was a kid, we moved upstate to Pauling, New York. Mm. And that's where I went to high school. And then I went to uh, SUNY Buffalo for college and then ended up back here in Manhattan in 2001, just before 9-11, I had enrolled at FIT for computer animation cool. um, to complement my architectural degree. I thought that would be a nice career path. And uh, did two years there, graduated, or actually didn't graduate, and then uh, started working. Hmm. And then 2008, the recession kicked in, Yeah. got laid off, started bartending, and somehow out of that, OSR came about. Yeah, so that's that's pretty much yeah. the, the cliff notes. I don't know if that's what you're looking for. No, no that's great. That's awesome. Um, I want to go back to the, the bread route because that has inspired you to start this race that is coming up. This was actually the first race I ever wanted to do. Cool. But because it was so abstract, uh, I thought it would be a really hard sell. Mm-hmm. Actually, right up until last week, I thought it was a really hard sell. And I guess not, because you have a lot of people not. signed up. Yeah, no, it's like over 50 people right now in the field. Um, we'll see how many show up the day of. I'm, I'm sure there's a fall off. There always is. Yeah. But well, let's, uh, let's explain, just in case people don't know, that um, the race we're talking about is going to take place Thursday, October 18th. Yes. Um, and basically, it's a race through the streets of New York um, at 2 a.m. Yep. And the... The course is not yet stated, <laughs> but it will be like kind of around the area that you and your dad drove the truck. Yeah. So my, one of my strongest childhood memories was this bread route my dad had mm-hmm. probably from the time I was six or seven to the time I was about 15. And I would over the summers would go to work with him. I just cool. really enjoyed coming to the city. And traditionally, that route started in Harlem and would go down to the financial district. Wow. Um, but it would go all over. Yeah. And I don't know exactly. I, to be honest with you, I haven't, I haven't set the route. Mm-hmm. I know that the day of, I'm going to tell people where to meet. And I know that once we meet, I'll tell people where they're going. Okay. And that'll be how we do it. And I'm drawing inspiration <laughs> from 
that I'm more trying to get grasp the feel of Manhattan at that time of night yeah versus trying to send people down the exact route my father had um, but Harlem uptown uh, you know downtown financial district the idea of solitude and and this like being alone and having the city to ourselves is cool. is the primary goal and I think it's an experience most people would never seek out on their own so because of the popularity of the last two races, the 10Ks over the summer, I thought now might be a good time to draw a crowd to experience that. And I was really would have been happy with seven people. I would have thought that would have been a successful launch. And with 53, 55, whatever it's at, I mean, I think we're in for so cool. a very exceptional New York experience that none of us have had before. Yeah. You know, and that, that's, that's what I'm trying to do. So this is going to be a little bit different than your typical OSR race. What, how would you, I guess, explain it to people who are listening to this for the first time and don't know what the Orchard Street Runners are? Where would you start in explaining the history behind? Uh, I mean, there's a lot there. So if I was going to condense it, I would say that, you know, traditionally, OSR started out as a running group, but I always had ambitions of putting on events. And I used it as a platform to do that. And just through i think consistency is the real component yeah. to osr like every tuesday being there every time you know personally being there as much as i could and 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 continuously providing access to these runs i learned that people people haven't engaged the city this way you know a lot of people run in the city a lot of people run with groups and do stuff but and i never thought it was exceptional i just thought it was the way i did it but you know to go out in the streets on different courses each tuesday knowing the route ahead of time and having this kind of preemptive strike and, and idea of what you were going to do that night because you knew where you were going mm -hmm. was a dynamic that didn't exist in the other groups around at that time. And I kind of took these experiences from the other, the very few other groups that I had gone to said, I like this. I don't like that. I want to provide this. I don't need that. And I edited it to, to how I like to do it. Mm -hmm. And that's essentially what every running group is, is a reflection mm -hmm. of the organizer and what they like and what they don't like. So knowing the route ahead of time, knowing what time we were leaving, being precise, being punctual, consistent is, is what I was trying to provide the community because those were things I felt were lacking. Yeah. Um, Why do you think knowing the route ahead of time is important? Because it's almost contradictory to how you run the races. It a is, <laughs> but if it actually proves the whole, like our whole thing is know the route. Yeah. And it's because I get lost all the time. Okay. <laughs> and I learned through my own personal experiences that if you know the route, you're faster. And because Orchard Street is always about speed and efficiency, mm -hmm. it just kind of goes with that whole vibe. Yeah, I mean, when I hear of the OSR Tuesday runs, it's all like threshold runs, and it's never, yeah. it's never easy, it sounds like. And I never <laughs> intended for that. You know, it's just that when it started, I was young and in shape and would run my ass off. And I think people were used to being accommodated. You know, people were used to running together and being told, okay, now make a left and, and, and this. And that's great for, you know, for, for other people that, that like that. Wasn't my thing. And I didn't really know if what I was doing would attract anybody. I was trying to get a girl that I liked <laughs> to run with me. And that was the, the sole purpose of starting the group. Did it work? It did work. <laughs> um, <Nice>. Temporarily. <laughs> and, 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 you know, all is good. Um, but that's that that was the that was the goal you know with with starting the group and mm -hmm. i just never considered myself much of a runner i wasn't traditionally trained in, in running i didn't mm -hmm. run in high school or college i just ran because my doctor told me at one point i was too heavy 
So I think I, I think I saw that. I can't remember where I read it. It was either probably a post or something. Yeah, like Facebook or some interview maybe. That yeah, you like had a moment where you realized like I'm unhealthy. Like something. Yeah, I, I mean, need to fix something. I'm about sitting my in the doctor's office shirtless, <laughs> and I'm about 250, 260. Wow. And I'm lifting every day. I'm, I'm bench pressing 350 pounds. I mean, wow. I'm moving weight. Damn. And I think I'm healthy. And my goal was to gain more weight. So as she's doing a, a random uh, physical, she pokes my belly <laughs> and her finger kind of disappears. <laughs> and she's like, this is not lean and mean. And my initial reaction was, fuck off. Like, go, you know, I work hard, you know. And she's like, listen, she's like, you know, you're young now and it's fine. She's like, but as you get older, this could be a problem. Mm. And if you're trying to lose weight at 40 instead of 20, it's much more difficult. And whatever she said just clicked. And I'm the type of personality that, like, I binge on anything, like yeah. alcohol, weed, mm -hmm. running, food. It doesn't matter. If I'm into something, I try to consume as much of it as possible. Totally. So when I started running, it was hard at first, like I'm sure it is for everybody. But that first time that you've done it enough and you've pushed yourself hard enough for long enough that you get that buzz from it and you get that, that elevated mental state, yeah. that was it. And then from that point on, I abused it. I mean, I would do 10 to 15 a day, oh, wow. um, pretty much every day. And I would work, you know, till about eight, nine o'clock, 10 o'clock at night as an architect. I had no social life because I had no ability to have one. Did you run after work or in the morning? I would run after work. And, and at this point, like my memory of it is like 2003 uh, or so. And I'm living in Hell's Kitchen. I come home. It's dark out. You know, I change. I go out, I start running, I have my headphones in, and I would just bang out two and a half hours, three hours, wow. whatever it was, because it's all I had, aside from going to work and clicking a mouse all day. Yeah. And, you know, in my head, I always wanted more, but you're just, you're just conditioned to think this is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to get a job, you're supposed to work, you're supposed yeah. to do that. And it just never felt right. You know, I hated it, I despised it. And 2008, when the recession kicked in, I was ousted involuntarily and kind of as a blessing. And for six months I didn't work and collected unemployment and eventually got a job as a bartender. Mm -hmm. And even that, I remember thinking of that Steve Jobs commencement speech about connecting dots and, and what each one means mm -hmm. looking back. And I, and I, I would sit there at, ba at Barrio Chino was where I worked. Mm -hmm. And I would say, what is this dot? Like, what is this? Like, I have no idea what this is. And slowly but surely, the socialization, the going out, the networking, becoming friends with locals, becoming known, like, I, I was known as the runner amongst the local people that would come to this restaurant. Oh, mm -hmm. you're that runner, I see you running. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> so, you know, thinking about Barrio and, and what purpose it served, it was, it was a huge networking tool for me mm -hmm. and everything I, I was able to execute early on was a byproduct of the people I met and became friends with. Did a lot of those people kind of join you for Tuesday night stuff? Yeah. And, and I think that's what drew a lot of attention to OSR initially because uh, we had gotten some media coverage and stuff like that right mm -hmm. off the bat. It was that we were attracting these downtown party people. You know, not, it sounds so cheesy to call them party people. But, you know, yeah. everybody went out and, and would drink till 7 in the morning. But I would get up at 10 and start running. And that's what people noticed yeah. at first was that, oh, you can drink a lot 
and sleep a little and run a lot <laughs> and just keep doing that. Yeah. And, you know, people that were out of shape as a result of that lifestyle of going out were starting to say, I, I want to run. I want to run. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it was a combination of that. And then again, the girl, um, it just all kind of fell into place. And one thing led to another. And once the first meetup happened, which was an 8 a.m. Tuesday morning meetup, it wasn't even at night. Wow. How big was the group? I said like seven to 10 people. And it was mostly the girl's friends, you know, one or two friends of mine. All my friends talked a lot of shit, but never showed up. <laughs> um, but a lot of quality people were in that first group, mm -hmm. um, including David Trimble, okay. who later became a very significant role player in uh, the progression of Orchard Street Runners and the racing that, that we would develop. Um, so back to that, you know, meeting David Trimble at these runs, he was uh, working on his race, which was the Red Hook Criterium, at that point still being done in the streets. Mm -hmm. um, the year we met was the year it had moved to the, the Brooklyn Navy Yard, uh, I'm sorry, uh, cruise terminal. So with us working together on this race idea that I had kind of given, uh, given him to kind of chew on, mm -hmm. you know, we, we kind of came up together with the, the whole concept of the, the midnight half. Now, originally, like I said, I wanted to do this super late night thing yeah. because that's the, the, the feeling I was trying to capture. And even those long training runs as an architect down the, the West Side Highway, you got into the financial district and right after 9-11, I mean, nobody was down there, yeah. you know? Mm -hmm. So it was really, really weird. It yeah. felt weird. Felt kind of nice though, because yeah. you're like this amazing place that people all over the world look at and here I am by myself, Totally. you know? like. Who gets that? I've had, yeah, I've had similar experiences. I worked at a restaurant actually for a little while in like my, like the lost file years. <laughs> like <laughs> just, yeah, everything you're saying really hits close to home because I feel like the lifestyle there is like, you get off your shift, you like go drink, you know? Yeah. And then you get home and you're like, well, I haven't run today. Like I feel <laughs> shit, but I'm like not even quite tired yet. So I would end up like doing runs at like midnight in the winter like from my apartment and like going onto the Brooklyn Bridge, which is usually there's no way you can run across that. And yeah. it, w it would be like me and two other people. <laughs> it was so surreal, you know, yeah, it's like, yeah. it's, yeah, it's a really cool feeling of kind of like taking ownership over this place that you run in that usually is like, you don't even own a tiny percentage of it because there's just so many people. Yeah. But when you find the right time, you kind of are like, well, I feel like that, f that exact thing is what subconsciously has been driving the ideas I've had lately for races. Like even the OSR 30 is kind of yeah. in that same vein where let's do a race when we know there's nobody on the bike paths mm -hmm. because then it's just ours, mm -hmm. you know? And I, I heard that in a couple of years, they're going to finish the 32 mile loop around the island. Cool. So I'm looking forward to that That's 2 a.m. race, you know. <laughs> OSR 32. <laughs> yeah. Can't do the zero anymore. <laughs> it, amended. Um, but yeah. Um, so I, when did you start doing the races? Because you said the Tuesday runs are kind of like seven years old at this point. Yes. Um, but the racing didn't happen immediately once so it started. So 2000, I'll give you the again the, yeah. the key the key frames. So when David Trimble came. Mm -hmm. uh, that year, I had done my first silent auction for the Lower East Side Girls Club. We mm -hmm. raised uh, about nine grand, I think, or, wow. or something like that in, in three hours. Wow. That's awesome. So it was a very efficient, very effective event. And Dave had attended, and he said to me afterwards, you know, you've got good organizational skills. Would you help me with my race? And 
I was like, yeah, of course. And just to back up, you you ran the silent auction just kind of in conjunction with starting the Orchard Street Runners group, like knowing that you were like, you know, becoming a part of that community, wanting to give back to an organization that... Partially, but you know what it really was, was wanting to run the New York City half okay. and okay. it being gotcha. sold out. Yeah. We were sitting at Lost Weekend where we used to meet and two of us, uh, well, three of us total were looking to see how we could get in and charity option was the only way. Yeah. And we started to look at the charities and Lower East Side Girls Club just stood out to us for obvious reasons. Right. Um, I've always wanted to do something to help kids and contribute somehow because I remember being a kid and yeah. when you have things like, you know, resources around you, it's just, it's just more fun and then the summer, we send girls to camp. So, really cool. yeah, because when, you know, summer in the city when you're a kid, it's confining, it's hot, it's cement everywhere, mm -hmm. and these kids get to go upstate. So, anyway, um, so we picked them, and we had to raise X amount of dollars. I think it was 1500 each at the time. And I said, right away, knew I wanted to do a silent auction. Had never done one, never seen one, didn't really know what it was, <laughs> but just thought it would be cool. Yeah. Because we a lot of things going on in, in the community, but nothing like that for the, the people my age. And mm -hmm. I thought, oh, this would be a fun party. And we just killed it. Yeah. And because it was so lucrative, you know, the girls club noticed. We, we struck up a relationship, and it's been great since. And I think at this point, we're close to 70 grand that we've done for them. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah, pretty crazy. But anyway, so uh, what was the original question? It's about how the races got Oh, so uh, so in helping Dave Trimble with the Red Hook Crit, in return, for in exchange for my energy, he said, I'll help you with your race. Mm -hmm. So I dropped the midnight half idea on him, mm -hmm. and he fine-tuned it. And because I had confidence because of his involvement and his experience with the Red Hook Crit, I feel like we were the first ones to move forward. I'm sure a lot of people have had the idea to put on races on their own in the city, mm -hmm. and maybe they've done it um, and, and not gotten quite the attention that the Midnight Half did, but mm -hmm. it was with his partnership that I felt confident enough to execute, and we just did it at the right time. You know, I think everybody was looking for something different yeah. at that point. What year was that first one? 2012. Okay. And the way you ran the race was different than anything else, where it was five checkpoints? I think the first one, yeah. Different points. How exactly does it work? Uh, the Midnight Half was, that was the format. It was based on Cycling Alley Cats, mm -hmm. which was heavily contributed by Dave Trimble and his approach to racing, which is rooted in Formula One. Actually, his experience in the pits working as a mechanic and oh. also go-kart racing. Didn't realize that. That's yeah, awesome. that's why a lot of his circuits, if you look at them, resemble like Formula basically One. track. <laughs> well, yeah, but with the chicanes and everything, it's very Formula One. And mm -hmm. he kind of created F1 for bikes. Um, that's funny. But with the running, you know, his, because he's so involved in cycling, his approach to the running game was different than the traditional. And because I was looking to do something dynamic, the combination of the two just melded together really well. We did the first midnight half, five checkpoints. Typically what we like to do is give runners the opportunity to offset the speed requirement with um, knowledge of the city, mm -hmm. how to get around, and, and just general risk taking. Mm. Um, which is translated to somebody's confidence, really, both of those things, yeah. you know, so. How well they know the area. Yeah, and uh, that dynamic we learned very quickly, leveled the playing field. It wasn't always a guarantee that the fastest person would win. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've seen multiple examples of that coming into play over the years, and it creates a, an exciting dynamic, I think, for people involved. Yeah. 
You know, I think a lot of people outside don't get it. And usually after posting finishing times, there's hostility from from <laughs> outsiders looking in. And, and I get that, yeah. you know, because it's not a 10K. It's right. not a half marathon. Right. But I think everybody inside doesn't give a shit. Yeah. So that's that's something that's unexpected, but kind of amazing. It's spectator friendly, too, I, I, I think, where mm. sometimes you can get for catch people at two different points during the race. And then there's. You're doing a great job with providing live streams during the race, so we were able to see when people were going to be coming around the corner and that kind of stuff. When so Gene ran the Orchard Street uh, 10K this past summer, and not to brag, won it. Uh, (laughs) Stop bragging if you do it. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) thanks. Crushed it. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, There was a point in the race where I think you crossed the street. And there was, I think, a, a bus that was, or yeah. a van that was coming by pretty quick. What's the scariest thing you've seen during uh, one of your races? Oh, that's a good question. I never thought about that. Because you're usually on a bike with the leaders, right? Yeah, yeah somewhere You were all the over. You were biking, like, ahead, behind, sideways. <laughs> yeah, well, now it's a little more fun because I've got so many uh, experienced staff members, and yeah. I can actually pull off the leader and, mm-hmm. and float around a bit. So my role... Eric was with me. Yeah, Eric was assigned to you. Yeah. Um, and he probably saved my life from that van, <laughs> so thanks, <yeah>. Eric. <laughs> <laughs> That's why he's there. Um, but, yeah, no, it's fun for me now. It's, it's gotten a little bit looser for me in my role because everybody's really real well-versed in their roles that I can float now, which is what I've always wanted to do and provide that live stream point of view that's a little bit more, um, you know, general. Mm-hmm. Um, the live stream part of it has made spectating way more interesting and the first time we did the OSR 30, it was so brutally long and boring <laughs> for people that were sitting at the start house to see something. I was like, these poor people come for a start and finish and, and like three and a half hours in between, like, Nothing. you know, we always wish for this technology and it was so expensive. Yeah. And then one day you wake up and it's a side note on your phone app and you're just yeah. like, we can do so much with this now. So, cool. so assigning channels and doing all that has been a dream, you know, b- to be able to float around the race and uh, see what's going on. That's why the 10Ks came into play was actually to cut the distance down and allow for a more spectator friendly event. Because mm. after the midnight halves, you know, that hour and a h- hour and 15 minutes that everybody would be gone. You know, people that are sitting at the start house have nothing to do. So it's all been an attempt to refine and provide really a quality entertainment for spectators and unique experiences for competitors yeah and you mentioned i guess one of the first couple races that you ran was like the nyc half are you still kind of you're running the new york city marathon this year yes and you've got a charity component to it as well yes are you still drawn to some of those i guess like bigger more organized uh races or are you more involved in you know doing something like the Red Hook crit once a year and then you're you don't run your own races uh, yeah I've, I actually the only time I've ever ran any part of my own races was the first checkpoint of the first midnight half just to get a taste for it and it was amazing I have to say not to pat me and Dave on the back <laughs> but seeing people converge from different directions when you hit the main artery towards a checkpoint and and that feeling of finding out where you stand was really exciting and uh not having that in a race seems like a waste to me. Mm-hmm. But with that said, uh, the last few years, no, I haven't done much of anything besides the Red Hook Crit. When I was younger, I mean, now that we've been doing this seven years, I can say when I was younger, <laughs> I kind of was an asshole and really just like was like, fuck everybody else. This is the shit. Like, fuck these races. 
who wants to sit in a corral for three hours, pay $400, be one of 70,000 when you can provide these amazing, unique experiences for a limited number of athletes and provide high quality running shit, you know, like that to me was what I wanted to do. But the last year, yeah, I actually have softened that approach to things, been more open-minded and been going out and doing more races. Uh, Eric Reitinger, who has won several of my races and is in most of them and is a good friend, him and I went out twice to the Hamptons this year and ran half marathons that were just really cool, really small, uh, Bridgehampton half and uh, the Hamptons half, Mm -hmm. yeah. And this year for the New York City Marathon, who are you fundraising for? And from what I saw when you made the first post, very shortly thereafter, there was a lot of money that was raised. And I think you hit whatever goal you had very quickly. Yeah, I actually, uh, my friend Travis Hawkins is training me for New York this year. He's the winner of the 2018 OSR 30. He does a lot of work with Achilles and I've always thought that what they did was amazing and because of the connection through Travis now it just made logical sense that with this particular race I would I would divert all my my efforts towards Achilles Mm. so I signed up kind of late and I just remember talking to this lovely woman Fiona and she's like are you sure you're gonna be able to raise your money by (laughs) October and I I really didn't know and I was like I don't know Fiona but I'm gonna try and I thought if nothing else, I could just put an event on, you know, yeah. just do something, whatever. I knew this community would come through at some point. Yeah. And when, as soon as I posted it, I think it was 22 hours I had raised $1,000 over the requirement. Wow. And that was about Fiona four didn't grand. didn't know it hit her. Nobody knew. <laughs> and then, you know, the very nice people in that, in that organization, they started sending me letters telling me that I had set some record and it's never That's been awesome. done before. And... It's just a testament to this community and uh, how you can really uh, harness a lot of energy. You know, if you provide energy, I think in return, when you need it, you can get it back. Yeah, cool. And when you're running now, and go ahead, (laughs) No, what were you gonna say? When you're running now, and I guess training for, for New York, where do you find, I guess, the motivation to get out the door? I really have to sometimes look under the bed or you know <laughs> look online for it i have to like create a playlist sometimes because i mean i'm tired you know I, like everybody else marathon training at this point in the game yeah. it's really it's really like you don't give a shit anymore sometimes you just <laughs> you just want to take a break or just want to stay in and do nothing but like tonight i gotta go do intervals and i gotta get a haircut at 8 30. <laughs> so i'm sitting there like when am i gonna squeeze this in and the reality the is can't work, <laughs> <obviously>. <laughs> no look at me <laughs> So (laughs) I got to I got to like motivate hair is to his ankles (laughs) (laughs) only if I put my head down. (laughs) Um, This is the longest it's been in about 10 years. I was going to say it looks good, though. Thanks. Yeah, it's an afro. So (laughs) we'll see how it goes. But I mean, tonight I'm going to probably work on a playlist and and that'll be the reason. It'll be just to go listen to this playlist. And that's how I'll kill the time. But it's just to get out the door because, you know, once that you're warmed up and, and things have acclimated, it's all about running and it's just this passion and it's this thing that you just constantly want to do and you don't sometimes it's you have to be doing it to realize that i think how is training going that's what i was going to ask which is a much less eloquent question <laughs> Chris is like what's the motivation <laughs> uh th- it's going really well i mean a couple setbacks with uh muscles misbehaving but mm. i have a good guy michael crows that beats the shit out of those bad mm. muscles nice. and makes them <laughs> nice again cool so 
other than that, you know, it's just been uh, The weather's time finally wise. turning for you. Yeah, nice. I'm a fan of this fall weather. Yep. Anything, you know, between probably, I would say, 35 and 50 degrees is, is my favorite. So I'm, I'm looking forward to what's coming. This isn't going to be your first New York City Marathon. I think before we started recording, you told me you've run this two times before. How are you expecting this experience to be different than those other two? Uh, yeah, I ran 2011, which was horrible. I jumped in a month before and really <laughs> just <laughs> was unprepared, but I had a good time. And 2014. Cold one. Yeah, nice and windy and uh to be honest, I don't remember much about it because I think I blocked it, but um, neither one of those were very well-trained uh, marathons. So I had mentioned on a post that I wanted to do one trained, and uh, my friend Travis reached out as a result of that. And with his help, I think that I'm in for, if nothing else, a much more comfortable, slow marathon. <laughs> but I'm expecting to do a PR of maybe 3.30. That'd be you know, awesome. It would be great to do better. It would be great to do that. But I'm not, I'm not pressuring myself because I'm, I'm aiming for a two-year goal. So this is just a, a stepping stone for me. When you were doing those like super long runs after working a full day at, as an architect, were you training for anything specific? Or was that just like you wanted to be out there? That was binging. That yeah. was just me binging. <laughs> just not even like looking at races? Not, not, even, not even aware, you know, uh, completely unaware of everything. Just running in Nike freeze with compression <laughs> pain in my spine. Oh no! You know, like just not knowing anything, not knowing what what to do with what shoes or or how yeah. to run. Yeah. You know, it was just like I wanted to be in shape and I wanted to be fit. Mm -hmm. And I had youth on my side at that point, and I could just run indefinitely, and not have any issues. And I I just remember at one point when I finally got thin, looking in the mirror and and just being like, this is crazy. Like this is crazy. I never yeah. thought that I would be able to see you know, definition or anything like that. And that kind of just motivated to do it more and more and more and more and more. It was, it was vain and it was conceited and, you know, and all that stuff, but yeah. it, it's what drove me, you know? Yeah. For as much as we've talked about your own running, if you go on like the OSR Instagram page, there aren't very too many pictures of you yourself running. It's a lot of photos of, you know, people who have run your races and how they've fared, you know, after the fact, you know, whether it's someone running an Olympic trials qualifier or, you know, racing at a half marathon in an OSR singlet. So it seems like you're very proud of, I guess, this this brand and like this baby that you've had. And I think Jean put it, it's a seven year old baby at this point. So going into second grade. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I am like, it's like an honor to see the people that come to my races accomplish such amazing things outside gene being one of them you know but there's a, a long list of these competitors that find their way to my thing when they accomplish all these other like huge things and it just blows my mind so for me to put that out there it's like an honor to say that this person is associated with something i did you know and it, it, it adds validity and does all these positive things for osr mm. and you know I, I don't consider myself osr i consider osr to be a, a compilation of many things and many people and i think they're proud of these people and they're proud to be associated with it you know so that that's really the motivation with putting other people on there and and it's actually become a utility to get people somewhere mm -hmm. in in what they're trying to accomplish like I, my totally. photographers and and even some of the competitors have gone on to things as a result of being identified on this on this Instagram account so yeah. 
recognizing that there is some level of power there, you know, there's a responsibility to use it to benefit the people that have benefited me, so. I've definitely had people reach out to me after like the New York Times article too, just like OSR is like the thing that they reflect on when they're like, oh yeah, I think I've heard your name before th because I read about you winning an OSR race, so <laughs> that's really cool. Which is something, you know, I, I don't catch a lot of that. I sit in my <laughs> I sit in my one bedroom and I crank away <laughs> at my computer like like a madman and and make this stuff but I don't get to hear a lot of the stuff that's said about it so every time I do hear something like that it's always really gratifying. Yeah, it's really positive. You know? I had a I had a question Chris and I were spitballing potential questions and I I kind of feel like I know what you're going to say to this but I was thinking about whether you thought Orchard Street runners but more specifically like the races could exist in a different city like do you think it would be the same in a different city or a different place you know to to my to my own fault I haven't traveled a whole lot mm -hmm. so I don't really feel I'm equipped to answer the question in my mind I think that what these races t seem to do is like draw out talent from places that the mainstream stuff doesn't mm -hmm. and we kind of get these like like vanguard like I don't know, dark horses, you know, <laughs> like Br Broderick Gann, for example, was a, an amazing runner that came out for the first men's 10K and won. Yeah. No one had ever seen him before, and I think since. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe Tim Jeffries, but, <laughs> uh, but you know, he's an amazing talent, but he came out for that event, mm -hmm. you know, and, and you came out for the 10K, and, and, you know, Dave Knowles comes out for the, the races, and Jerry Faulkner, and, you know, all these guys, and, you know, I think that's a function of, of the dynamic OSR has created and the reputation that, that we carry for, you know, just being something different, yeah. not better, but just something else. Mm -hmm. And other people can identify with that, that don't relate to this mainstream, please everybody, let's get as many people as sponsors as possible. You know, not everybody's into that dynamic. Mm -hmm. So the fact that I can provide access for these people to engage a community that they otherwise don't feel a part of, you know, is, is I think what these races are about. Yeah. I think that can happen anywhere, That's you know, fair, yeah. as long as there's talent, you know, but where do you, where do you target? I mean, obvious places, maybe London, maybe Copenhagen has a strong running population, obviously, mm -hmm. like, you know, but I don't know where I would aim first, maybe even Asia, you know, because cool. I know, I know people out there that are very into the OSR format of racing. Mm -hmm. They've reached out over the years and I know there's a lot of people out there that would be into it. So. I play around with that would too. It, would it ever go to a different city? I'm ready to go. Cool. Um, funding is, is yeah. obviously <laughs> what we would be looking for. So mm -hmm. if anybody is interested in sponsoring an event like that, reach out. But um, you know, I've, I'm always talking to partners about about getting out outside of New York. Cool. You know, it is it's a big risk for me because we've had had a very high success rate. Yeah. And um, I haven't taken too many risks outside of. Well, I guess I've taken some. Yeah, but I'd say so. <laughs> <laughs> I guess logistically, when people do reach out and say, you know, I love this concept and, you know, I'd love to give it a try in my own city, where would you start with giving advice to them? And how much planning goes into these races ahead of time on your end? You know, it's, it's, uh, reminds me of Frank Lloyd Wright, right? He, uh, he had a client and he had, was working on a project and he hadn't done any drawings and the client was getting nervous and he said, it's all here. <laughs> and he pointed to his head. And that's, that's a reality. I see these things before I execute them and I see them very clearly. And I only do them when I see them clearly. Hmm. If I don't have the vision, 
and I have the idea, I won't execute, you know, but when I see it, it's just very easy for me to, to do it. And I think if somebody has a vision, the hardest part is taking the first step towards executing. So if I was going to help somebody, I would, I would try to get them just to move forward and take that leap of faith in, in actually making a step towards, towards doing something because everybody has ideas, you know, but very few people take the initiative to, to do them, you know? Is there a little component where you know that OSR has worked so well and there's this one little piece that you keep to yourself and it's like this is what is going to make OSR like unique forever and it's something that you're only going to keep to yourself? Uh, it's a hard question to answer. Yeah. But <laughs> I'm not sure I understand the question <laughs> myself. But, but I will is say. Is there a secret? Is that yeah. basically what you're <laughs> asking? Is there a secret? Yeah. But don't tell us the secret. <laughs> don't even no. tell us if there is a secret. <laughs> I wouldn't say there's a secret. I just, I really think from my experience, from where I sit on these, you know, in, in, the, in, the, in the subculture, it seems to be that anybody that has the initiative to start something, whether it's a running group or a race, it, like I said earlier, it's a reflection of the personality of that person. Mm -hmm. So the success or failure of that, I think, resides on how that person presents themselves and what they're doing. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I think over the years I've been a real asshole to certain <laughs> institutions of running, you know? Like, I'm sure I've said plenty of things about <laughs> New York Roadrunners and Runner's World and, and, you know, these cliche running things that everybody identifies with because it's mostly because it's the only thing out there to, to try mm -hmm. to identify with, yeah. you know? But as far as there being a secret, I just follow my gut to a T. I don't care about anything else, what somebody says, what anybody does. If I don't feel it, I don't do it. If I don't feel like talking to runner's world, I don't, <laughs> you know? And it's not because I, you know, people get excited about getting coverage, about getting exposure, about all these things. And that's fine if that's your thing. That's never been my thing. It's not about that shit for me. It's about what feels right. And that's what I've trusted. And so far, so good. I mean, here I am, you know, here's OSR. Gene yeah. Mack is running our race for Christ's sake. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> OSR is letting me run. <laughs> That was the other thing, too. I guess when, when you agreed to do this podcast, I was like, all right, great. It's like, at least we got him. It's like, we heard there might be some trouble with Runner's World, but at least Joe has <laughs> agreed to come on this podcast. Well, it's funny because New York Times, when they approached me about the women's race, the girl, Pia, uh, who is an amazing, job, amazing yeah. journalist, and, and Amy, Amy, the photographer, was amazing, too. But she said to me, she's like, I'm not sure if you're interested <laughs> in talking to me. But we would love, this is over email. And Everyone just kind of tiptoes up. <laughs> well, like, Excuse me, Joe, Joe. <laughs> I guess, you know, and, and that's, I don't know if that works for me or against me, you know. But like I said, it's like the gut, you know. Runner's World tended to, like, try to take from me. Mm. Try to take the name OSR and put it in their magazine without permission, without using it correctly. A lot of these media outlets that are really big, they don't take the time to, to understand the finite details and the nuances of what each running group is or does. Yeah. They want to take you and plug you into their formula to sell a magazine, and they don't give a shit how it makes you look. Yeah. I've been working seven years at creating this reputation. Why am I going to let somebody take it and plug it into some equation that somebody that doesn't even understand what's going on created? Yeah. It's not of interest to me. Mm -hmm. So when Pia approached me for the Times article, she said, she's like, I want to make sure that all the facts are right. And I want to I want to go, go through this process with you. Mm -hmm. And that's all it took. You know, if yeah. I can have a say in how I'm presented, how OSR is presented, then I'm interested. You know, it's cool. Yeah. 
And I think that article also did a, a really nice job of capturing something that I think Orchard Street Runners does a good job of too, which is like celebrating the like the women's side of things, like the fact that it was kind of like separated out the women's and the men's races for that for that race, and also like I don't know, I think just throughout the months, seeing like continuous posts from you being like constantly celebrating these these girls that are going out and crushing it and being like let's give a moment of to acknowledge like Caitlin Phillips going to Berlin running a crazy fast time like you know kind of like not just being like oh everyone's doing great but like the women that come to these races are exceptional I mean it's so true I mean and and the first midnight half second midnight half I think was where I really kind of caught on I, w- I want to say it was even Lee Gerson's performance in 2013 that, mm-hmm. that caught my attention. And I said, it's a shame that they're being overshadowed by the men's performances and overall winners being paid attention to and mm-hmm. then the separation of, of the female. Like, I never really liked that, but that's the way it's done. Yeah. And, you know, it didn't even sound right to me, but that's the way it's done. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not a 20-year-old, uh, a 20-year veteran of race organizing. I, I kind of taught myself as I went. Really, I mean, Trimble has been an amazing mentor. Aside from him, there is no other resource of how to do this. You know, it's you figure it out. And I figured out fast that women are doing amazing things with running in the streets, just like like the men were, and nobody was giving them any credit for it. Now, early on, OSR was mostly women. Mm -hmm. Colleen McGurk, Amy Lynn Crane, Rebecca Maybach, uh, all these girls were coming and tearing the shit up. <laughs> I mean, just destroying guys. And, and, <laughs> nice. and we were just like, these girls are so badass. And I wanted to give them a race. Yeah. And none of them signed up. Mm. And all these, uh, you know, it was like six girls signed up for the first one. Lee was actually won the first one. Darcy was in there. Um, I can't even remember off the top of my head who at this point anymore. But, you know, I sat there and I was like, wow, this is a real failure. This this is only five or six girls. Twelve had signed up, but the day of six dropped out because wow. they didn't want to come in last. And we executed the event anyway. And then what I learned from that was that there is no failure, right? I mean, it's cliche, but there yeah. is no failure. That first race was small, but it made noise and people heard it. Yeah. And then to see how it evolved into this year's race is insane. Because mm-hmm. I have that memory of being so disappointed <laughs> standing in front of Lost Weekend with five other, you know, five girls lined up, and I felt bad for them. Because yeah. I was like, nobody showed up. There was no spectators. It was nothing. There you know? were a lot of spectators this year. We yeah. had over 2,000 people watch the live stream from so the women's cool. race, over 3,000 on the men's. Around the world. Yeah, too. around the world. Like, people in Australia, like, I had, I had people emailing me for, for months telling me about how they caught it. I mean, there was one, I think Finley had posted something with six phones on a table at a meeting <laughs> at Nike. And it's like first place, second place, third place. And I was like, that is not even a vision I was able to foresee, but to have, you're like watching the people yeah. on your table. Like, it's, cool. it's yeah. insane, you know? And it's just like, it's just so much fun for me to get creative with everything. Like even now, I started making t-shirts just because I have these ideas and I have this opportunity to put ideas out to a community and see how they get digested. Mm-hmm. And I love the feedback and I love the interaction. Yeah. And that's where I find my happiness now is, I mean, God, the, the best thing in the world for me is the day of a race after that shit's over and <laughs> all the content starts flooding in. I just stay up all night 
and I just look at photos and videos of everybody's captures. And now with the live stream, you get to watch the whole race again mm -hmm. from different vantage points. And for me to absorb all that is just so awesome. Yeah. You know, you get to see all the good stuff, all the bad stuff. But I don't know. It's exhilarating. You know, are there ever any races that you wouldn't want? Like, I guess I'm assuming there will still obviously be content from the, the bread route race. But are there any of our races that you're kind of thinking maybe you wouldn't want the same like amount? No phones. Yeah. Crazy that was the like bread that. route race. <laughs> I really thought that I would get five to seven people to run this race. <laughs> and it would be like this, this one we did a couple, maybe like a year and a half <clears> ago <throat> called the Red Hook race. <laughs> and it was on a Tuesday night instead of a Tuesday night run. I just switched it to a race. And <laughs> the people that showed up were like, what? <laughs> yeah, well, we started in Red Hook for this one because Trimble's office was there and he was he was home uh, from uh, Europe. So we were, we were like, let's do, let's do something. Let's throw together a race. I think we had 14 people. Trimble was one of them. I was following the leader on bike and Pavel and Eric Reitinger, Pavel Morrison and Eric Reitinger kind of dueled out cool. uh, with Pavel winning at the end. But it was awesome because there was no spectators. Nobody was aware. I mean, not that I don't mind spectators. <laughs> it was just really cool because it was an intimate race. Yeah. And to it this changes things up. Yeah, totally. And we did prize money, but Trimble had a change jar in his office. <laughs> and that was the prize money. And we distributed <laughs> it to everybody That's in like awesome. a half-life formula. <laughs> and to this day, people that ran that race that have ran every race I've done or whatever, that's the race that they love. Mm. And I get it because it was theirs. It was no one else's. Yeah. And that's what I thought this race would be. And I, I kind of, I don't know. I, I talked to a couple of people about it beforehand and got a feel for what their reaction was, like Travis Hawkins. I, I talked to David Kilgore mm -hmm. and a couple other people, Eric Reitinger. And they were all amped about it. And I was like, cool, maybe I'll get five guys, you know? <laughs> and then, boom. Yeah. Just boom. And, and, I mean, I, I tried to make it as clear as possible. Mm. There is no course. There is no <laughs> venue. There is no food. <laughs> nothing's coming. There's no finish line. Like, I mean, it's nothing. It's like me saying here and there, you know? <laughs> and 53 people are ready for it. So I'm stoked now, you know? Like, I am yeah. so excited now because... The fact that people see value in this race makes me happy, and it, it really gets me going. Like I'm, I'm, I can't wait for Thursday, but I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> Every time we do this, I mean, everything is, is such a gamble, mm -hmm. you know? There's just so many variables, and who knows? You know, who knows? Maybe, maybe the start where I plan on starting isn't even accessible at 2 a.m. Who wow. knows? <laughs> I'm hyped up. Game changer. I might have yeah. to get on the waiting list now. <laughs> I haven't run an OSR race, so I've got to make my debut at some point. Yeah, yeah you definitely, definitely have to. Um, we've got some fun questions that we're going to try with uh, each one of our guests, and they're all going to be New York related. So uh, I guess, Gene, you want to start off with the first one? Yeah. Some of these I don't want to do. <laughs> <laughs> Just so you know. Um, what's a perfect New York City day for you? Uh, I've had a lot lately, actually. Um, I'm kind of in a lucky situation where I don't have to go to work every day. Mm. And that feeling of not having anything coming up that I don't want to do yeah. makes for a pretty awesome fucking day. So thank you running because <laughs> as a result of, uh, of running, I get to do whatever, the, whatever I want. Cool. So every day is pretty much amazing. So what does that entail? Like, is there a certain coffee oh, spot you go uh, to or? Yeah. I usually like to have tea in the morning with my girlfriend before she goes to work. Mm -hmm. And then, um, I like to spend several hours really cranking out whatever, 
is on the agenda that day uh, with OSR. Mm -hmm. It's always a lot of correspondence. I mean, even if there isn't an event coming up, yeah. there's always maintenance on OSR. So I, I like to work on that and focus my energy at that prime part of the, part of the afternoon. Mm -hmm. uh, cap that off with a run and nice. then cooking. I really love to cook. Oh, cool. Yes. What do you cook? I cook a lot of Italian food. Nice. <laughs> you know, I like to make pizza dough. Uh, I usually like making any kind of dough is like an uh, is like uh, another passion of mine. Cool. Do you? Oh wait, what's the word? I've been watching the Great British Baking Show, <laughs> <laughs> the proving drawer. Do you prove the dough? No, I, don't, I haven't gotten too <laughs> technical. Like I, I, I like immediate gratification with food. Mm. <laughs> so I've seen the recipes for like 24 hour rises and all this other yeah, stuff yeah. and I just don't have the, t the patience. So yeah. making the pizza is patience enough, I guess. Uh, you probably have got a great answer for this one because I guess you are so well versed in Italian food and I guess pizza, best slice in New York City. Oh, uh, well right now I'm a big fan of Scars on Orchard. Okay. Um, I think he actually just won Best Slice on Bon Appetit as well. Really? Yeah, he's getting a lot of accolades. But, you know, he, he f mills his own flour in mm -hmm. the basement, and he makes all his sauce from tomatoes and not cans, and that goes a long way with me. You know, I just feel like in this world where everything is so processed, like going back towards grassroots anything is just, it just feels better. Yeah, definitely. Um, favorite neighborhood in New York City? Uh, I'm going to say the Lower East Side, yeah. uh, although a lot of change is happening. It's not necessarily uh, the same neighborhood that I, you know, I'm referring to. Mm -hmm. But for the part of my life where I transitioned out of the person I was told to be and became the person I wanted to, yeah. the Lower East Side was my stage. So I'd say that's going nice. to be that my favorite. That was like the bartending area. That's where you were. Yeah, where, where you know. It was like about letting go of this pressure from my parents to be a professional and, and have that yeah. normal day job and, and you know all the things that they wanted for me yeah um which i appreciate but you know just like i said never felt right and being able to find what made me happy mm -hmm. and being able to do that on on a daily basis you know like i have to give the neighborhood all the credit because cool. it was that neighborhood that made it possible that's awesome it's the weirdest thing you've seen on the new york city subway <laughs> <laughs> On the subway, uh, <laughs> so many things are going through my head right now that I oh don't want to say. I have a great one, <laughs> but I don't think I should tell. It. <laughs> well, yours is probably better than mine. Should I tell it? Go yeah. for it. Kick us off. Okay. I like. I've heard this. I actually I didn't see it, but I heard <laughs> this story. I've heard it so many times that I feel like I have at this point. Okay, so. Um, it was like crowded early morning commute time. Like everyone's kind of like packed in and there was a girl like kind of combing through her hair. She was sitting down and she was just kind of like, you know, like that, literally like that. And um, some strands of hair fell out of her head. And then like she got off a couple stops later and the guy that was sitting next to her bent down, reached into his bag, pulled out a Ziploc bag, oh, no. picked up her hair, put it in the Ziploc oh bag, God. sealed the Ziploc, and just put it back in his bag. That can't be real. Yeah. No, it, I 100% believe that that is real. Somewhere, <laughs> somehow, that has happened before, yeah, I'm course, sure, on course. the subway. So that's pretty weird. I was thought you were going to say he was cutting it. No, without that would be weirder. Um, you know, I, I don't... I haven't taken the subway all that much mm. because I, I would always right. prefer to... After night, I mean, again, I got... 
to Manhattan after 9-11. And I was just always like, fuck going underground. Yeah. You know, I, I like being above ground. And I bought a bike, and I, I would bike mm -hmm. most places. But Do you still bike around? or? Yeah. I mean, this summer was a lot of running, so I didn't bike as much. But I bought a road bike a couple of years ago, and I like going up to you know 9W and doing all those types of things. Cool. But I mean, I've seen a guy get shot in the belly at a red light and oh, spill man. out of the car and die. Jesus. Like, I've seen oh some crazy God. shit running, you know? Yeah, that's running. Right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, um, yeah, that's that, an that thrill, takes the cake. <laughs> thrill factor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that gets the adrenaline going for sure. Uh, should we do Yankees or Mets? Yeah. Oh God, so so hard a Yankee fan, but in '86, you know, being in Queens, you know. Mm. Everybody was a Mets fan, but my grandfather used to have a uh, a billboard up in the left left center of Yankee Stadium. Oh, cool. Actually, not a billboard, but on the buildings across the street from the stadium, the old stadium, mm -hmm. you used to be able to see the building facade, and they would paint advertisements on there. Okay. So he was a diehard Yankees fan his whole life, born and raised in the Bronx, and he used to actually put tickets to the Yankee games in the bread bags. That's awesome. Really, that's yeah. awesome. Really cool. But so we inherited uh, Yankees. Me and my brother. You had to. Yeah, no choice. <laughs> okay, which of these do you want to do? Um, or neither. All right, last one for me. If you could run anywhere, or I guess, what is your, your favorite running spot in New York City? I really love to run through Red Hook, and I'd say that I hit my favorite spot when I'm on Imlay late at night, and it's empty, and the streetlights have it illuminated that long straightaway, mm. and you're just by yourself. Cool. Yeah, I love that stretch. Gene, uh, last one from you. Uh, okay, my last one is, what is a question that we should ask our next guest <laughs> without knowing who our next <laughs> guest is? <laughs> um, or we could tell them who our next guest is. Yeah, I guess we could. But first, maybe you have <laughs> maybe you have a question you want us to ask without knowing, and then what you want <laughs> with knowing. Uh. I don't even know. I guess, you know, it's it's such a, a, a cop-out, but why do they run? I always like to hear people's answer to that question. Cool. You know, I, I think like it's that. really interesting. Perfect. I think we get a good one out of Leanne. Leanne's going to be the next guest. Sherrick? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, awesome. So yeah. that'll be exciting. I'm yeah, in good company. Good. <laughs> Perfect. Joe, thanks a lot for taking the time to do this. Seriously. It was an honor, and uh, we'll both be at the... Uh, race next Thursday I'll probably if I'm not if I can't get in to run I'll spectate and cheer Gina well it's and the honor is mine and Paul and Paul too <laughs> yeah I'm looking forward to seeing cool. how this one plays out but yeah. thank you so much for for including me yeah of course stand clear of the closing doors please many thanks to Joe Donato for taking the time to do that interview if you're interested in the Orchard Street runners they meet on Tuesday nights on Orchard Street and for more information you could check them out on orchardstreetrunners.com but they are most active on Instagram at orchardstreetrunners so check them out and we are also on Instagram and Twitter so Gene what are our handles and where can people find us uh, runners of NYC on Twitter on Twitter and uh, runners of NYC pod on Instagram nailed it Woo! Um, and as you heard in the last part of the interview our next guest on the Runners of NYC podcast will be Leanne Sherrick of Brooklyn Track Club. So we're excited for that episode. We, we actually just taped it in Montauk. And so that's coming to you guys in two weeks. Tune so, in. So tune in, subscribe, spread the word, follow us on all the social media platforms, and we'll catch you guys soon. <laughs>